This is the Recruitment Rollercoaster Podcast. My name is Hisham Azuz, and this is the show where I bring to life the true failures, the true successes, and the true learnings from recruiters and recruitment business owners globally. This podcast is now sponsored and supported by Hunted. Hunted is the destination for recruitment careers. You can download the mobile app or visit hunted.com to step inside the offices of hundreds of the world's best recruitment brands and see what it's actually like to work there. If you did not know, recruitment skills are in high demand and there's never been such a diverse range of opportunities out there for recruiters. On Hunted, you can filter jobs and brands by location, sector and size, as well as nearly 60 different badges that are awarded to businesses based on their features and benefits. You can discover brands who will relocate you overseas, brands that offer flexible working or brands that are a fast growth and with an in-house L&D function. Filter by companies in WeWorks, companies with office dogs, or companies that have invested in a mental well-being initiative. You can build an anonymous profile in minutes and spec yourself into brands to learn more. Or you can let businesses approach you with opportunities that match your preferences. And if you want to have a bit more of a human touch, then Hunted's expert talent team are on hand to support you securing your next role. You can follow Hunted on LinkedIn to ensure you never miss out on the industry's best content and objective advice, connecting you with the opportunity and helping you make the most of your recruitment career. Welcome to the Recruitment Rollercoaster podcast. My name is Hisham Azuz and today I'm joined by, I think you're going to win the title for the um, person that's travelled the furthest <laughs> for this podcast. That's about right. Yeah. We'll just act like you've just come over from Australia. Um, I'm with uh, Andrew McGregor, who is a director of Design and Build, who are based in Australia. And, um, mate, we've been speaking for a while. Yeah, thanks Great for having me. Great to actually meet you. And um, I'm excited for this one. So, as you'll know, where I always like to start, how, uh, how did Andrew McGregor get into recruitment? Yeah, look, it's a great question. And I think I always ask everyone the same question. But then I ask myself, why did I do it in the first place? Because sometimes I wonder myself. But no, really? look, um, the story goes for most people that most people fall into recruitment. Mm. Um, and it was similar for me, but um, the sort of backstory was that I was actually working in the tax office, believe okay. it or not, for three and a half years, which was uh, an interesting experience. And was part of my role was, um, sorry? Was it boring? It was and it wasn't because part of my role was doing tax investigations. Oh, so wow, I'd okay. go out to places where we suspect something was amiss. And mm. I've done football clubs, I've done pubs oh, and wow, okay. some famous clubs in, in London. Um, and then it just so happened that we got this recruitment company to investigate. And subsequently, you, you go to their offices and you start to look at you know the people in the office and generally everyone's young and they're looking slick and you've got footballs flying around everywhere and loads <laughs> of noise. And I was thinking to myself, I've been in a tax office for three and a half years and literally I don't have an email address. I don't have internet. They don't give me a phone. And I honestly felt like my life was wasting away. A really? Bit. So as the investigation was going on, the director of the company said to me, why didn't you get into recruitment? Oh, wow. And that's what laid the foundation or delayed the idea, so to speak. And then um, obviously one thing led to another. 
did the investigation. They turned out to be dodgy ads, but that's another story for another time. <laughs> but I couldn't help not think about it more. So mm. then probably another three months went by and that's when I started to look at recruitment. So you camps. actually proactively looked? Yeah, I did. And it was, uh, I spoke to a couple of friends and in fact, one of my friends said, don't do recruitment. You won't be any good at it. <laughs> um, you need to have a sales background. But no, I, I got into it by seeing it probably in the flesh mm. um, and thinking to myself, do you know what? I've always been a people's person and people, you know, describe what, what's a people's person. Mm. Dad was in military. I went to boarding school. I moved every 18 yeah, that's months. T- that's tough there. I know, it I know is, a couple of friends who had that. That is tough. Yeah, it is, and, but you put yourself out there. So whenever mm. you go to a new military you've base... Got a, you've got, yeah, yeah, otherwise so you're going to have no mates. You're always assimilating to people's culture. Mm. So for me, that meant when I was thinking about recruitment, I was like, well, I can do that easily. Yeah, now. that's really true. So yeah. that's the story of how I got into recruitment, yeah. basically investigating another company and turning out, thinking that looks good for me. Wanted, wanted some Rolexes. Yeah, absolutely. Never got one. <laughs> Never got one. <laughs> cool. Yeah. So then let, let's frame it up a bit then, and then we'll sort of dive into your story. So... You worked for was it so you worked for was it Matchtech you worked for yeah yeah that's right yeah. okay and then how many, how long did you work there for um, so I spent four years there okay um, nice yeah. so and that was your first recruitment job yeah that was my first recruitment so job so worked there for four years and mm-hmm. then after that you then and then is that when you left to go to Australia yeah that's right yeah so I spent four years there and you know started as a junior consultant as you do okay. and progressed over the time into team lead role but then after about four years started to come a little bit over some of the I suppose mentality of a big corporate if you want to okay, call it cool. that we'll dive into that. Mm. And then after that, you then went to Australia. Did you start your own business straight away or did you then obviously work for someone for no, a bit? No, no. So I originally joined Design and Build as a consultant. Oh, wow. Um, okay. In Melbourne. So I'm, I basically, Neil was advertising a magazine for recruitment consultants and I got in touch and yeah. joined as a consultant. What was that now? Almost nine years ago. Okay. So then, and then you've obviously got to the point where you are now at Design and Build over the nine years, yeah? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Perfect. Became an owner at that time. Okay, cool. So you've lived in Australia for how long? Uh, come nine years. Wow, yeah. nearly ten years. Yeah. yeah okay. All, yeah. Amazing. All right. Yeah. Cool. So let excited to unpack that then. Hmm. So going to Match Tech, obviously, yeah. What, were they like obviously big at that point when you joined? Yeah, I, was, I think they were approximately 200, 250 people. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah. And it was a single site office yeah. back at the time. Um, so when you walked in, it was everyone Chaos. was a suit tie yeah, yeah, yeah. Schmidt, no, no, everyone had shave it was yeah, yeah. Very and what, what was the sector that you went into uh, i went into civil engineering so oh, okay. highways in effect yeah, yeah um but yeah it was um that that interview experience was i've never experienced anything like it and i never will again talk to me um four stages yeah Every stage, they're telling you you're not good enough and you're not going to be able to do the job. <laughs> I was you up against other people. Was it like a group one or was it just you? No, no, it was just me. Okay. Um, and like each, each interview was about an hour. And, you know, it was just like, no, you're not good. You can't do this. You've never done sales. You've never done a degree. I sat there. I don't know if I can swear. Can I say, oh. Yeah, of course I was you like, can. Fuck yeah. you, mate. <laughs> <laughs> I can do this. Yeah. Because um, yeah, yeah. I'm one of those. Don't tell me I can't do something because yeah, I'll go ahead and do, do it. it even more, yeah. um, but there was even a psychometric. There was an intelligence test. An intelligence yeah, test. Yeah. And then you had to meet the MD. And I got through all of that mm. on my first day. You then meet the MD on the first week. And he sat there and he said, I don't know what you're doing here. Really? And literally, that was my first <laughs> week in the job. And I was like, Oh, so you right. got the job by this point? Then I you got sat the down, job. I got the you job. You met him, and then he was got, like, got the Andrew, job. what the hell are you doing there? Yeah, he was like, mm, mm. Yeah, you don't have the conventional back. I'm not sure, but we'll see how you go. Oh, wow. I lasted longer than him. Get yes, him. <laughs> nice. Okay, wow. Yeah. Okay. So, um, civil engineering, and then just, just to ha- help me um, understand and the people listening, and then mm. was it contract you went into? Was it perm? Yes, yeah, so contract? contract temp uh, okay. within local councils and highway authorities. So, okay. an example would be the Highways Agency or Transport for London. Um, so, all I did was highways, and Matchtech were very specialist. So, it okay. wasn't if it was a bus stop or a bus route or a traffic uh, a cycleway, I couldn't touch it. It had to be someone designing a road. 
or supervising the construction of a road oh, or wow. inspecting a road. But it yeah. it effectively made me that five mile seat, super, five centimeters super wide. Niche. Um, yeah, so it made you super niche, but it allowed you just to go straight to the hiring manager and say, this is who I am, this is what I do. All I do is what is you that, do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, okay. And they were very smart about that. Okay, amazing. So let's, what I always like to ask people before we move on, like how, how were your first 12 months then? So obviously you had this MD saying, Andrew, nah, mate, not sure. We'll see how it goes. H- how were the first 12 months? I was rubbish. Really? No, look, first, <laughs> first three months for me, I started late October. Okay. So I still remember my first placement and that came in sort of early January. How mad is it you always remember your first day? I remember my first three, I think. But really? um, I think the, the, the second guy's still in the job. <laughs> how long did it take you? Um, it took about, so I started 26th of October. And I think the first deal was early January, like 13th of January. So it took a bit of time yeah, to get yeah, into yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. Um, hence the reason why they were giving me a bit of stick. But I yeah. did the numbers. Yeah. Um, but look, it was difficult because I hadn't come from a sales background. Yeah. And, you know, they hammered you. But at the same time, what I remember about it, it was that sort of every call got better. Mm. So every phone call just got a bit easier and a bit easier. And suddenly after six to nine or six to seven months, you've spoken to these people at least eight times yeah so they start to know who you are you're starting to consistently talk to them mm. and suddenly you feel like it's a switch you're like oh yeah that conversation mm. just went a lot better yeah than the other six had gone mm. and, and that's sort of when it, and it started to really build after about seven to eight months that's when yeah. my temps went from one to ten to twenty and i think you know it went on from there really um but yeah i always say to people you know six to nine months it's, it's always difficult mm. um so i, I put on would my, you go back and do anything differently um you know it's funny somebody else asked me that and it's so f- so long ago yeah. that I look at it and go, well, I can't change the past. So yeah, of course. there's anything I could do differently? Probably not. Um, okay. I probably could. It, what would have been easier? And I think in today's uh, world, because they've got we've got podcasts, yeah. because we've got books, etc. Else, I always say to people, if you want to make it easier, listen to these. Yeah. Um, listen, listen to, to other the people. Recruitment yeah, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> Go team. But no, it, it's true because yeah, 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 you know sure. you, you don't get a lot of help. You're right. uh, in the first and you're always looking for people to sort of help you so I'd always say to anyone if you want to make it easier you know what listen to these podcasts because yeah. we've all been there yeah, yeah no no I think again that was sort of what this was born out of really I worked for a small boutique agency and I, I learned so much from everyone around me but like I just totally recognised that I could there's got to be so many more people out there that I can learn mm. from um, okay just quickly then before we um, move on I guess how d- how did you how because I'm, I'm just thinking people listening who are maybe going through that period at the moment six mm. eight months in in their first twelve months where it is still really difficult. Mm. Um, did you just naturally when you get off these calls and you're improving? Did you say okay, what could I've improved there? Or did, did you get mm. what I mean? Like how, what was the process of you getting better? Was you asking for help? Was you listening to other people? Or was you getting off the phone calls going right, Andrew? That's that's gone really well. Why was that? How could I improve that? That mm. went really. Well. Did you get what I mean? Yeah. Look, how I d- think one of the things I was taught very early on, because don't get me wrong, Matchstick were great at the training. Yeah, yeah you know, sure. But what I was taught, and what I always say to everyone, is make sure you get something from every call, mm. and it could be something that's quite insignificant, but just look to get something from every call, and it could be so insignificant as when do you next want to talk Mm. when's the next time i can speak to you because whilst that might not sound significant when you call them back you turn around and say you told me to call you on this day so therefore you've had a win along the way um but what i've always said today in you know nine or 13 bloody years ago whenever i got recruitment is you know when shit goes wrong that's fine what did i learn and what am i going to do next time um so it's always that sort of you know analyze every call but don't overanalyze it just get on the phone get beat up a little bit because you're going to get beat up oh yeah of course you are prioritize speaking to a lot of candidates you know mm. when if, if you've been set a target of 
you know, whatever 100 calls or 150, whatever it is, double that with candidates mm. because they'll be the ones that will give you the information. They'll they'll build your confidence. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I also immerse myself in the industry. I learn about every project. Really? I learn about, you know, a, a, every company and how many temps they've got, what's the maximum they've ever had. What's You've the got a good memory? Uh, yeah, I've got a bit of a Rain Man memory. Really? Uh, rain Man, Rain Man. Well, why <laughs> did, why did, I just feel, because I did a um, podcast yesterday with um, a contract builder, mm. and he had a really good memory as well. Mm. Like, how, how, like, I don't know what it is, but I, an example would be that um, uh, consultant uh, Charlotte, who's actually back in the UK now, she um, she was talking to this chap, and she shouted across the desk to another guy. She said, oh, "I've just spoken to this Peter Phillips." I went, "Oh yeah, he worked for that company in Brisbane in this role." back in about 2012, 13, right? And she just looked at me like I had four heads. And I was like, <laughs> she went, how the fuck? That was just, just natural. It just like, comes naturally to me. That's um, mad. I still remember my clients' numbers. Um, so when I got back, I called a couple of them just because I remember their number. That's a joke. Um, but it's, it, it's just some people have got that yeah. in their brain. Um, yeah. And I always say that, you know, I don't want to be rude to people, but you, you generally want to test people's memories mm. and try and, figure out how much they remember because that's what people buy into when you want to build trust with someone you refer back to yeah, what you spoke yeah, about yeah, previously yeah yeah that, that, that's awesome um, yeah. Yeah, again that can give you a bit of a point of difference and make you stand out when other can. people are calling them yeah it? I mean ultimately when you, when you walk into a client's office or you know meet, meet a candidate yeah. and they talk about a company or something you just go oh that person that person does this, they look at you like alright alright so you, you're serious it's like yeah, 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 yeah I'm yeah, dead yeah. serious yeah. about this I like that cool mm. so then just um I know you're touching a bit. Help me understand. So you uh, obviously billing that went well. Mm. Then you went. What, and then did you go up the the traditional ranks of match tech? So like yeah, that's right. Yeah. So what did you what did you sort of evolve to? What was the so advice? my first role was junior consultant. Yeah. Then you move into consultant and then senior. But I always had aspirations for leadership. My, my really, father, you always thought about that. Yeah. Well, my father's a leader in the military. Yeah. Um, so therefore, he started as a you know. A, a gunner, which effectively is the bottom r rank. Okay. And um, I watched him progress into a senior role within the military. So oh, wow. I saw some examples of him being a leader and I think that just, inspired by just that. stuck with me. And so, you know, I, I always wanted that leadership role. So I moved into a team lead role after about two, two three years. Two, three years, um, okay. Yeah. And then uh, you managed a bit before you left? Yeah, I did, yeah. So I ran a team for about a year and actually going back to one of those biggest regrets was my first year in management. I was a complete knob. Yeah. But I'd learned from other managers in the business who were a bit, yeah. dickhead like yeah, yeah. Um, but my last year I, I sort of pulled my head back in but yeah the last year was leading a team of four to six consultants recruiting in the sort of highway space really okay mm. let's just unpack that a bit then, mm. and then we'll dive into the Australian stuff which I'm really keen to do mm. um, okay so then firstly like performance wise did you just was it did you get that management position the leadership role because you was performing really well and they're like right Andrew if you can create three four five more Andrews then this can be really pro profitable yeah to I think that was the, the model of match tech really we sort of um, once you get to a certain point in your billing you get put into more of a senior role mm. um, you know I think they promote bad people and they promote good people like any business yeah, probably yeah. does um, but yeah I got up to sort of over 100 temps out you really know, I was billing and what does that mean billing wise roughly it's probably about 15 to 20 grand a week really so good so what does that Sorry, I'm 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 um, so That's you, like what roughly you, you yeah. get sort of like up to five hundred, six hundred k a year. Fucking hell! Um, was that like your best biggest years or uh, in the UK? It was yeah, really yeah. So, but it, it's the match tech model, you know, and, yeah. and they did it incredibly well. Um, and you, you you'd inherit temps when people left and all the rest yeah, of it, yeah, and all yeah. that jazz. But the issue they always had was it was margin. It was it was low timesheet margin. Yeah, yeah. Um, but you know that's what where I was successful was. You know, I got into an account and never assumed that I knew everyone in the account because I think a lot of recruiters, they get too comfortable. But mm. I was like, right, okay, so that's that division. I've got four temps there, but over there, 
Anders have got six temps, so I need to go and get their temps. Yeah, and Hayes yeah, have yeah. got four over there, and okay. Eden Brown have got four there. So I was always like, right, where else can I win temps? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cool. Um, just, yeah. just quickly then, thinking again how people can get value listening. Let's. I think there'll probably be a lot of people listening that um, are contract recruiters, mm. and they they might have hit a bit of a glass ceiling, or they're more at um, they're nowhere near as to like where you got to, but have aspirations to get there. I guess. Mm. Yeah, you can obviously talk about your experience in Australia as well, but I guess. Looking back, what do you think were the key things that enabled you to get to that sort of 500, 600K plus or the amount of attempts that you got to? You mentioned just a bit of a, um, a valuable piece there, but what were the sort of key things, would you say, that enabled you to get to that to that point? I think, you know, some people have just got habits where ne it's never enough. Mm. Um, and for me, every time I hit a certain milestone, whether or not my five grand a week in contract, six grand a week, mm. seven grand a week, eight grand a it's week. Always it's always like, one more. What's next? But where is it as well? Because you've got to be smart about the clients that you're trying to target. Mm. There's no point in talking to clients where, you know, if you're a contract recruiter and they've, they've only ever had one temp. Well, you know what? You, that, there's not opportunity yeah. there. You need to be identifying clients where they're a project-based client and they have seasonal, you know, projects, whatever else. And suddenly, you know, at their peak, they've got 12. And right now they've got one. How do you find that out then? Just asking information, you know, yeah. speaking to temps, you know, yeah. continuing just to, to always mine for information. Yeah. And it's a sort of, it's a, it's an, it's an interesting, oh, so how many temps have you got at the moment? One. Oh, that's not many, yeah, but when we're really busy, because yeah, people yeah, like to talk about when they're busy, we've got 12. Mm. So you always want to be mindful of, you know, if there's one client with six temps, but they've only ever had six and they're with one agency, your opportunity to success is less than mm. we've got four now, but when we've had 12, oh, how many have you had them with? about 11 agencies, isn't that difficult for you to manage with 11 different agencies? You're always sort of mm. mining for solutions and information. Um, and that's how I did it. It was always, right, that's my attempts there, but where else, where else, where else? And then you'd ask the attempts. And then you look after your attempts as well. I mean, one of the things Matchstep did really well, you couldn't not speak to your attempts every four weeks because they were on you just like a brick about it. About staying in touch with Yeah, them. staying in touch. So, you know, you, you'd, you'd spend time and you'd take them out for beers. You'd get to know these people because they're human beings, right? Mm. You know, it's their job and they, you know, most of them, you know, they work in temp they want to know that you look after them, you're yeah. looking out for them. And the moment you do that, they'll look out for you and et cetera. Because they know, they know that you're there to make money. It's just how you make it. Mm. You, do you make it really well or do you just make it by being selfish? And for me, it was always like, right, go to London every week, spend time in the temps. And then the other temps who didn't work through Matchtech would be like, why can't I go out for beers and why am <laughs> I being looked after? And, and, and the best example for me was two years ago when I got married, my best man was my temp or my ex-temp. Shut up. No, my ex-contractor. Really? Yeah, so in Australia. What? Um, me, me and him got That's to know each mad. other in London. We got, but you, you get to build friendships with these people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so he was my temp for two years. I left and then... Someone gave me a reference to do about three years later, and it was true. And called him up, and I was like, "Hello, you little wanker!" <laughs> uh, and he was like, "Oh, for God's sake! I thought I got away from yeah, you." But yeah. um, no, subsequently we, we we built up a friendship, and yeah, it was amazing. My best man. Okay, so to run that off, then I think what you said there, which is, which is really interesting, was if I'm a contract recruiter right now, have you actually made the time to think about the accounts that you're working and the accounts that you've identified? Are there accounts that at peak of really busy times are going to need a lot more of a service you need more mm. people? Um, have a real think about that. And if, if it isn't the case, then start trying to find out who, who are the people that, um, who are the businesses that need a lot of people mm. at these times. And then the other thing, which I've heard before, obviously, is, is really, really double down on your candidate network. If yeah. that is, 
yeah, it's getting to know them more than it needs to be more than transaction, right? Mm. Um, because if you've got a really good relationship, then hopefully you'd like to think that if they get a call by another recruiter that's offering them 10, 15, 20 quid more per hour, whatever, mm. you'd like to think, well, actually, <coughs> Andrew's really looking me after. Do you get what I mean? I guess mm. that's the sort of objective yeah. there, isn't it? So yeah. would that be fair? So yeah, like, they're the sort be. of key things that enabled you to really excel to, yeah. to that point. I think there's two, yeah, two, two other things also is, you know, what do your clients do? Are they all capital expenditure led or are they operational expenditure led as well? Okay. Just having a balance of clients about what sort of projects and what sort of work that they do. Because mm. if you're just, all your clients are capital expenditure, that they're relying on. What does that on, mean, um, So they're uh, money coming in, so it's investment. Okay, so okay. They're, they're working on projects that need to be built or they're new projects. Yeah. Whereas operational sort of existing churn projects, so like facil- up, upgrading services, oh, et cetera. Okay. Um, so you always want a balance of what your clients do. Yeah. Um, so it's really learning that. And exa- I think um, it's funny when you mentioned about candidate networks, my um, nickname was Payroll King. Really? Because um, literally people would call me a bit, I've just got from Australia, I've got a job with this company and I've been told to call you. Um, and, and yeah, that's the nickname I got because I just looked after the people. Yeah, that's, um, that's amazing. So, yeah. that, that, okay, cool. And then um, just be interesting to get your thoughts because again, Thinking of people listening, a lot of people, obviously, I'm sure you've experienced it now in in your time in um, Australia, but obviously that is still quite common where a really good biller is then pushed into management, Mm. even if maybe if they do want it or don't want it. Mm. So I guess you you did say that that obviously when you you did start that management career, you Mm. you was a bit of a knobhead. So let's Mm. let's just unpack that and quickly sort of talk a bit about the learnings that you experienced with that, because I'm sure there's a lot of people that maybe are but currently a bit of a knob better than mm. these things or trying to trying to understand how to manage people and how not to manage people. Mm. So what what did you learn through that period then and what are the things that you definitely would do different, differently? Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, look, I, I did do them differently yeah. um, because I think people want to be inspired and motivated uh, to be better than themselves. Mm. Um, whereas when you're a younger manager and you're trying to bully them to being you, is it was that that? Because that's quite common, isn't do, it? It's do like, what I do and do yeah. as I say. Because you know right? it works. You know yeah. it works. It's like, why would you not do that? That's what I. But do it only works for you. Exactly. Yeah. That, you know, one thing you learn is that what works for you only works for you and you only. Yeah. You can try and work to people to you know build their own habits and ways, um, but you are you you are unique. Um, yeah. So don't bully people into submission. Don't create a culture where it, it feel people come into it they're like fucking. This is going to be yeah. really shit day. Inspire people, especially you know. in recruitment. Yeah, it's, it's tough enough as it is. Yeah, exactly. Um, but so that's what I learned. You know, I, I tried to replicate what my manager had done, but actually, I, you know, with respect to him, I didn't really like him because yeah. of what he had, the way he treated me. Yeah, yeah. So and then, you know, I remember getting home one day and a few of my mates, and I probably acted out, you know, with my mates, and they were like, "Stop being a dickhead." And yeah, really. Myself, was that, that? Was it literally yeah, simple as that? Yeah, and then and, and then I thought to myself. I'm like that at work, so what must they think about me? Mm. How do I? How can I help them do better? And it was like, well, stop doing what you're doing right now. You know, have you know open conversations and motivate and. So it's a mindset change. It is a mindset change, um, you know, but it, it took a little while. Um, but fortunately for me, sort of at, towards the end there, you know, we, we had a team of people where we were all in it together. Yeah. Um, because what I learned when I went to Sydney, and obviously not to get too far ahead, but. I wouldn't be where I was today without my team. Yeah, of course. So, you know, I was glad that I learned that early on because mm. if I wasn't, I'd be in a completely different job in a completely different country somewhere yeah. else in the world. Yeah, so it, it really was that mindset change mm. of, I guess, being less selfish, basically. Yeah, yeah, yeah. less about you and more about them. Yeah, and that, that as simple as that, that would be mm. your advice to people that are going through that transition at the moment. Yeah, yeah. And it will pay dividends long term. It will, yeah. If you, if you give people time and, and, you know, and obviously there's always another part to management and management of people, yeah. but... You know, give them time to get to where they need to get to. Just give them the guidance and the, and the motivation. Um, don't bully them. 
Yeah, yeah. bullying gets you nowhere. I doubt, I doubt you'd have the uh, payroll king nickname when <laughs> you were. <just standing. laughs> no, <laughs> yeah. no, we don't want to leave that as, as the last impression. I just remember one of the ladies who worked for me in, in Sydney. Yeah, she went to me. Oh yeah, I remember you. Oh, you were God. called payroll king. I was like, oh no, oh no. <laughs> cool, mate. So yeah. Australia, then. Yeah. Really, really uh, keen to dive into this then. So firstly, like, how did that happen? So was it literally you saw a mag- an advert in a magazine? Yeah, so... Jeez, what, what magazine was that? Wait, wait, wait for it. It's just a, this is actually a funny story. So originally I contacted Rectorec and he okay. put me in touch with these three absolute basket cake companies and I was like, right, I'm finishing this look yeah. straight away. Um, but then I read the new Civil Engineer magazine, which is obviously yeah, a, yeah. a magazine for engineers mm. about projects in the UK. Mm. And Neil, the director of design and build, had advertised for recruitment consultants. Smart. In, in Australia and I thought well hold on a minute this is pretty smart I'm reading a magazine about projects and it says Australia infrastructure boom recruitment consultants required design and build and I was smart. like love the Dick and Balls logo back in the day um, <laughs> which is uh, you know we'll talk about later but I liked that straight away you know it, it was different yeah that's smart yeah and so I, I emailed Neil I said, look, you know, I've been thinking about it for a while. I'd actually had 25 finishes that day as well. So I was, I was, I was incentivized. <laughs> um, but uh, I, I emailed Neil. I said, look, you know, this is who I am. This is what I've done. And him and I spoke for 20 minutes on the phone on a Sunday. And that's about two days later. And then I spoke to Matt, the other director, for about two, uh, about an hour. And then I was in Australia five weeks later. Really? Yeah. No, no Skypes, no wow. FaceTimes, no CV at the time. Just two conversations. And then, yeah. What was the I biggest am. driver behind that then? For me, yeah. I'm just I'm, I'm I'm urgent as a you know I've I've done psychometrics and I've got high urgency. Okay. Um, and I was just like, right, if I'm gonna do it, just do it now. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, so I just. But why made, did you want to go over there? Um, I just like the idea of it. Really. I was 26 at the time, I think. Yeah, yeah. 20, 27 at the time, and I thought to myself, you've never, you know, you put yourself out there by leaving a, a safe job and got into recruitment. If you're gonna leave, you know, match tech, do you want to compete against them or do you want to try something completely different? I was like, well, Australia sounds good. I've never been to Australia. Really? Um, so yeah, just... So literally you had never been there before? No. no. Love that. That's yeah. amazing. Then okay. arrived in Melbourne, it was three degrees, pissing down with rain. I thought, <laughs> what the hell is this? <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, so where so where, where was you initially based in? Uh, based in Melbourne for 18 months. Okay, initially. and then where do you live now? Uh, I live in Sydney now. Sydney, okay, yeah. cool. Yeah. So I guess the first thing that I'd love to dive into <coughs> before we go into sort of that, that whole journey would be... Um, through that whole experience now, firstly, so I'm, I'm under the impression that it was a lot easier as a UK recruiter to go over there as compared to as it is now. Mm. Is, that, is that correct in saying that? Or I, I don't know. I, I, I find it surprising that people say it's easier in Australia. I just think... Aust- no, no, as in easier to get over there. Oh, sorry, yeah. So like more oh, like... Oh, gotcha. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's yeah. what I meant, sorry. Oh, the visa restrictions. Yeah, the sort of visa... Because yeah. obviously, yeah, it was a lot... Was yeah. it a lot, is that fair to say? So yeah, like absolutely. Because yeah. you know how it is. If you're a recruiter right now and you're listening, you've got two years, three years, four years experience again, you're getting nailed by Re- Rectorex, right? Mm. Mm. We're going to say there's there's opportunities in Australia. It seems like everyone's saying there's op- opportunities in America now, mm. these things. So, like, yeah, what's the actual reality of a UK recruit right now being able to, to go over to Australia? Just the opportunities are still there, yeah. right? But you've So you can't, it is achievable. Yeah, you yeah. Can't so I put on LinkedIn the other day, it's two years experience and a relevant degree. But a relevant degree is business management, HR, right? Not psychology, law, etc. Oh, so relevant to the craft that you're going to be doing. What we're doing, yeah, right? Yeah. Or it's five years experience uh, to get a visa. Right, with, without a degree, but if you're just uh, five years recruitment, experience. yeah. But if you're, uh, you know, that's that's what they state. Now, don't get me wrong; some people are able to get visas outside of that. I, I never know how. Yeah. Um. But what you know, if you're uh, in, in your twenties, um, you know, you've got four years. You can go to Australia, spend three six months traveling around, and then go and work for a company for six months on your working holiday, 
and then you've got the five years. And, and, oh. and those sort of things. And you what, can, then would that be easier? That, that that would be easier just to get out there and get a feel for Australia. Actually, that's probably a better smart way, yeah. isn't it? To it is it. because the cost to Australian businesses of hiring uh, through the visa process has, has almost trebled in the last trebled. sort of five years. Um, so okay. you know, the the risk to Australian businesses of hiring people from the UK has just gone up exponentially, along with the the significant salaries that we have to pay now. Yeah, yeah. Okay, mm. cool. So it's definitely still achievable. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I yeah. think you just gave some good advice in terms of maybe a slight different way to approach it. Yeah. Mm. Um, okay, and then the other thing that just to get your perspective of, and then we'll talk about the, your journey in Australia, is um, what should UK recruiters be thinking about before they go over to Australia to like move their life there or career there through your whole nine years there now mm. like what the hell should these people be thinking about if they're seriously considering moving abroad mm. with their recruitment skill set yeah it's it's, a, it's actually a great question yeah. um, you know I think there's a realisation that when you first move to a new country your first three to six months are getting to know people right mm. and I'm not talking about work here I'm talking about personal yeah. um, so if you are in a position where you can get a working holiday yeah. I would recommend getting that and going to Australia Australia, getting settled, getting to know people, getting networks of people yeah. before you take a job. Mm. Because once you get into the job, you've got to commit to the job. Yeah. So, you, you know, because when you first get out to Australia, you say yes to everything, you know, mm. yes to doing everything. Problem is that work takes secondary to that. Yeah. And suddenly you find yourself six to nine months into the role and you haven't, you know, you haven't focused enough on it because you doing your personal stuff. Mm. So I think to myself, that's the one thing first, get out there and, and, and get to know people. So and try and build some social networks. Yeah, so it's absolutely. not just you like on the other side of the world trying to... Yeah, immerse yourself in the Australian culture. Don't go look do that? Just go to the football, go to the beach, go and do Aussie is that things. Is that like actual well, football though or is that this weird look, Aussie football look, thing? I mean, it, Aussie football, I love Aussie rules. Really? But to be fair, I never watched yeah, it. I, I went to the game earlier with Aussies, right? But yeah. what you find sometimes is people just spend their time in English groups or Scottish groups or Irish groups and then they start to say to themselves, you know what, I'm not really enjoying Australia. Yeah. I'm not, and it's because they're not doing the Australian life, which is getting outdoors. And because in basically in the UK, you sit indoors and wait for it to stop raining. In Australia, you're outside and you're waiting for yeah. it to rain because it's too bloody hot. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. So I think immerse yourself in the Australian culture. Yeah. Um, if you're going out and you've already got a job, make sure you spend some time learning about the lingo, learn about the locations, the geography, because. UK, we don't mind traveling an hour and a half. Yeah, no worries. In Australia, they don't like traveling 15 minutes. Why? And it's a big country because they're lazy. <laughs> no, no, <laughs> joke. They just don't like travel. It's not okay. part of they. They would prefer to spend more time at home yeah. in the morning and more time at home in the evening than being traveling. So yeah. we're not, I'm talking about construction, but you know, if you said to someone, hey, it's a half an hour drive, they'd look at you like you've got four heads. Like, really? No, nah, mate, it's not good. I want to be within 20, 30 minutes at home. Mad. Now, that's an ex extreme, but that's but, how Australians yeah. think is I want to spend less time at work, more time at home, and I'm not going to compromise the home part. Really? Um, so that's a, that's a nuance of the Australian market. In yeah, my opinion. yeah, cool. All right, interesting. Mm. So, Nine years, and you've only worked for Design and Build. That's right, yeah. So okay. two jobs in 13 years of recruitment. God help me. That's, that's <laughs> mad. Okay, cool. Unlucky number 13 for some, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, um, okay, just, just to give me some context and to frame mm. it up then. So um, join them as at what sort of level? Because obviously you had quite a bit consultant. of experience now. Just consultant. No, uh, yeah, I, um, I took a consultant ride. You know, my, in my view, I wasn't a team leader. I wasn't a senior consultant because I knew nothing Different about the market. market. Yeah. yeah. And was you going into the same sort of niche or? I, I, no, I went from civil engineering contract to construction permanent. Oh, really? So, yeah, I went to perm recruitment, which was 
my, I remember doing my first job advert and I was like, what, what, how do I do this? Really? He's like, you've never done a job advert. I went, mate, I'm a temp recruiter. Yeah, you yeah. Don't do job Mads. adverts. Okay. So, so give, just give me the context. So it was consultant for, perm consultant for how long? Perm, perm consultant in the Melbourne office for 18 months. Yeah. Uh, recruiting construction. And then we had started up a Sydney office, you know, whilst I was in Melbourne. It had been going for about two years. Hadn't been going very well, you know, wrong people, wrong direction, whatever else. And I was a little bit despondent with DMB at the time. You know, I won't lie. I felt the business was potentially going backwards in some of the things it was doing. Yeah. So I put my hand up and said, hey, can I go to Sydney and try and help you, you know, get the office going the right direction and trying to put my own sort of stamp on it in a way. And obviously I had that leadership aspiration. Yeah. So I moved to Sydney seven seven years ago. Uh, April, and then you stayed there since? I stayed there since, yeah. And what, when you joined there was what, you, you went straight into like a leadership role? Yeah, so I took a state manager role at the time as myself uh, and there was four others when, the, when, I, moved, when I went into oh, the really? office. Um, three of them went because, you know, new new leader, et cetera, else. So I was lucky that we got Kelly. Well, so it was this year? No, myself, Natalie, brought on Kelly in uh, May when I, jo I joined in April. Yeah. And then Alex, who and Kelly and Alex are still with us today. And then how many people are in the Sydney office now? Uh, 24. Oh, wow. Yeah. Okay, so and you've sort of led the, the direction of that and yeah, managed with obviously other people and yeah, these things. Yeah, as I said earlier, you know, we wouldn't be where we were without the two guys, yeah. Alex and Kelly and the other leaders that have come through. Mm. Um, but yeah, you know, d during that time, we've had a, a great sort of up uptick in consultants yeah. and gone for a bit of turnover as well. Yeah, yeah. Currently at 24. Okay. And then, um, was you, and then did you stay in that perm... And yeah, did you stay in that market? Yeah, I stayed billing as a billing consultant in construction permanent uh, for another five years after. Oh, shit, really? Yeah, so okay. I was still sort of billing up until about eighteen, two, about two years ago. Really? Yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah. Let, let's unpack that then, and then mm. I'd love to sort of get your perspective of um, sort of how UK recruiters have done when moving over to Australia mm. and some of the biggest pitfalls or the common things that you see in these people and these things. But yeah. let's just unpack that a bit then. So how, how was that whole transition for you then like was that a difficult period at the, at the start yeah it was yeah. It, you know it, it wasn't easy going from you know being very comfortable payroll king yeah payroll king it, it was like that <laughs> to you like know. top dog to yeah. like yeah that's, no, that's nothing, tough right well I always you know I always taught you, you get given a plaque and it's a pile of shit mm. there's a maggots at the bottom and a beetle at the top yeah. I, I was a beetle at the top yeah yeah uh, and then I became a maggot um, <laughs> and you know I remember the first phone calls even the first phone call all right mate and he was like yeah I'm all right how are you it, it, really? rather because I didn't say how are you going Really? So that was my first phone Wait, call. Wait, say that again. How you going? That's how you should open. That's, that was that was my first phone call. He said, "I said, are you all right?" And he was like, "Yeah, I'm fine. Why are you asking?" <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, so "Righto." But <laughs> even things like that, you know, just suddenly speaking the lingo. So my next phone call was like, "How you going?" <laughs> <laughs> the guy was like, "Yeah, I'm all right. You right?" Because <laughs> he was British. Uh, but no, no. So in all seriousness, it, it, you know, it was, it was getting to learn permanent recruitment. But I always will say, hand on heart, that I always believe temp recruiters are better recruiters. Really? Um, Why yeah, is that? Because of the amount of plates you're spinning, just the amount of yeah. volume and the energy that you bring into the desk. Um, permanent can be quite slow. So I think yeah, any definitely. great perm recruiter is someone that c creates urgency, yeah. creates energy. And in temp, it's yeah. already there. But in permanent, is not. So you've got yeah. to create it. So that's what I learned within the, the, the perm. So how, how, did, how, did you, how did you deal with that transition then? Like, what, did you, what are the different things that you had to change? And like, the different, like, did you have a different approach? And do you yeah, know what I mean? Yeah, because th they didn't need someone yes to yesterday. They sort of wanted to bring somebody on board. So you had to suddenly learn about crafting, you know, how you would 
talk about candidate skills and experience and what value they could add to the business. Because previously it was, I need a design engineer for three months who's got MX. Right, okay, I'll go and find someone who's got MX for three it's months. Bosch they're in. Whereas they're like, I obviously you've got to be decent, but still yeah. it's very reliant on the skills that they have. If they and have you that you perfect, you've you got to. You knew your networks, you knew who was good and who was yeah, bad. Yeah. And then they'll say, well, I want, and they always give you the hard roles first. Remember, in, in any new business role you're doing, they won't give you the easy stuff. They'll mm. give you the hardest roles. And so you'd be like, right. I, I, and then, then you have to talk to them about what value they're going to add. So that your cell of candidates completely changed. Mm. So then you've got to learn more about your candidates' aspirations and mm. desires. So, so that was what I found was, okay, it wasn't just, I have a job here for this long. Do you want it? Yes, you do. Great, go. It was, well, I have an opportunity that I want to talk to you about. But before we get into that, I want to learn about what are the things yeah. that are going to make you want to leave. Uh, I can imagine that being such a change. <coughs> yeah, I was yeah. like, oh my days. Yeah. And then you were negotiating, even negotiating fees was different because then you're talking about the value you're adding to the client and what they were paying for. Whereas in temp, they're paying for the need. Yeah. Like, I need someone, that's what I'm going to get. Whereas in, when you're negotiating in terms of business with clients in permanent, it's about what value you're adding, what features and benefits of your, your terms. Yeah. Um, so it was all these different things coming into it. But what I did, I just created urgency and I had a lot going on. Yeah, um, yeah. I was like, right, if I'm going to, I went with the rule of three back then, which was, you know, for every three interviews, I'll get one placement. Yeah. So if I want 12 and a quarter or one a week and a quarter, I need to at least have 36 unique candidates out at interview any one mm. time. So it's just always about the volume. Um, mm. Don't get me wrong. Some t I think one quarter, I had about 80 interviews and about two placements, but that's because I wasn't very good in that quarter. <laughs> um, but no, so for me, I just took the temp approach, which was always make sure you've got three to five new things on, but box each one off and mm. move on. Yeah. Um, so I think that's the mentality I've always had and I think temp recruiters that's why they generally have a higher level of success yeah cool okay and then just just quickly then if I'm a con contract recruiter now and I've taken a position into perm what are the things that I need to be like right I need to get this sorted or whatever so you said about create that have that same urgency mm. these things understand that actually how you're positioning your candidates and how you understand them is different these things but just to wrap that piece up then, if I'm a perm recruit right now going through that transition, what are you telling me to try and make sure that I get back to the success I that I have? You summarised what you said earlier, which is that you've got to learn your candidates' desires yeah. and aspirations. Yeah. Uh, you've also got to learn your clients. So mm. you, you're asking different questions to your clients about permanent recruitment needs yeah. rather than contracts. So you've already summarised summarized it quite nicely. Okay. Um, I think the other thing is also negotiating and standing your ground on your terms of business. Yeah, yeah. Um, Don't put your pants down. No, and, and, but understand why not to either because clients think they're paying for the outcome and the guarantee, mm. right? And that's what they negotiate in terms of business on. How much your fee is, yeah. what your payment terms are, yeah. and what your guarantee is, yeah. right? That's not what you're, that's not what they're paying for. Mm. They're paying for all the stuff you do before that. So it's about educating your clients about that part of the process. Um, that's what you need to learn because, you know, I talk to the consultants and, and other sort of peers a lot about features and benefits. Mm. You know, clients call us because of two reasons, because they want the time and the money. That's what they, because they haven't got the, the resource themselves to do it and they don't have the money to do it either. Mm -hmm. But they don't call you because they think you're going to waste your time or their time and they think you're going to cost too much money. Mm -hmm. So you sort of got to overcome these two things that yeah. conflict against each other. And I think that any great perm recruit, that's what they learn. Yeah, yeah. You know, how to negotiate your position so that you win exclusive business and you win it for the right reasons, which isn't because of the fee or the guarantee, it's because of the service you provide. Mm. Um, and that's something I learned over that sort of four to five years in permanent recruitment, which is why in the last three years, all I did was retained. Mm. Really? Yeah. Okay, cool. We're definitely going to talk about that. So just quickly, and this this um, part of the business, obviously mm. I know it's been 
going for a couple of years beforehand, <coughs> but like, was it pretty much you building up from scratch pretty much? Yeah, so Design and Build's been established, it's 15 years as of this yeah. year, but the Sydney branch had opened up in 2010, in mid-2010. I went there in mid-2012. Okay. Um, so along with Kelly, Natty and Alex, it was the, the four of us, and for 18 months, believe you me, mate, it was really shit. I hit rock bottom personally, hit it professionally, you know, I was, I was in a bad way. Um, Why was you in a bad way? Just making silly mistakes as a 29-year-old really? sort of single man in Sydney does. Um, mm. But I made some poor decisions personally, which obviously have a knock-on effect to you professionally. Yeah. But what kept us as a team was our togetherness. Really? You know, we, every success we had, we celebrated. And it could even be a good conversation with a client. The moment it happened, because we were in a room, and obviously people can't see this yeah, room, yeah. but this room is probably four by three. Yeah. Or four by four, maybe. Yeah. maybe. This is the size of our room that really? we're in. Right? So you'd hear every call good or bad, and yeah. when you had a good call or a good job wow. on or a good interview, a good candidate, you're like, mate, fucking well done. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The potential that could be, because we're, you know, as recruiters, we're always about the opportunity and what, what it could mean and be. Mm. Um, so that's what we did. But for you was things. pretty much building it, pretty much building out of you guys. Then, yeah, yeah? Okay. yeah, we had a strong brand though as well. I mean, design and build, you know, people recognize it for what it okay. was. The reason why I'm asking you about that is the, the probably the most common question um, I get asked to ask guests on the show is, a, is around building a desk and mm. business development and mm. these things. Um, so I guess I'd, I'd love to just get your perspective of how you approached building that business. Mm. Obviously, it wasn't just you, but you guys as a collective. What are the sort of key things that you did to get to the point where you mm. are now in terms of the sort of biz, um, building the clients yeah. and building yeah. that, that part of the business? Does that yeah. make sense? Yeah, it does. Well, look, I think first and foremost, um, every new recruiter, every experienced recruiter, when they come to Australia, go to UK, US, they look at the biggest companies, the best companies in the market, say, I want to recruit for that company. That's the first mistake they make. Really? Because they don't need you, right? Why but don't they need them? Because they've got everyone else. Yeah. Everyone else is chasing, everyone Already, else is yeah. offering the service, okay. right? You have to work with companies who need you. So where are the other people? In the, in the, so you've got your sort of tier one. You're, if you talk about Microsoft, Google, if you talk about construction, then lease multiplex for you yeah, know, yeah. subjects to the listeners, don't try and recruit for them in year one. Okay. Build up to them in year five. You start with your SMEs. So don't, yeah, don't start with the big boys. Yeah, because people assume that a company of 20 doesn't need to recruit via a recruiter. Well, if their turnover is 20%, that's four hires a year. Yeah. Right. If you can then take on two of those hires, then all you need is probably in the first year, this is as well. I mean, it's not you know, mm. years to three and four, but you probably only need another 10 clients and there's 20 hires in a year and there's 300 grand in billings. Mm. Rather than trying to recruit for Lendlease and Multiplex, get one role in that whole year, be competing against all these other, com all the other recruitment companies and internal solutions, barking mad. Yeah. Go after SMEs where there's teams of 20, 40, 60. So what did you map them out? Yeah, you, you're talking to line managers, you're talking to decision makers, yeah, of course. right? And you're establishing again, you know, how much recruitment do you do? You know, how many people did leave in the last year? What's your turnover? You get companies say, I've got 60 people and my turnover's 40. You're like, right, so 24 times a year, you've got to go and find someone. Mm. Yeah, right, okay, well, hold on. How much in terms of recruitment? Generally, we probably hire six to eight people in a year for recruiters. How many different recruiters? Six. Bingo. Mm. You're in a good spot. That's what you've got to do. Start to talk to your SMEs first. Build your brand. Build your networks. Deliver on those, and then what will happen over time is you'll start to make your way up into the mid-tier space. And then so the when you say building network, you mean the clients and those types clients of businesses you're delivering yeah. and working for? Deliver, deliver, deliver. Because mm. you can also make mistakes as well in that, in that end of town. Because mm. there's enough of it. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah, yeah. But then, so what we, what we did is we started one desk. I got that desk set, moved off it, brought somebody in. Got another desk. That's how you approached it. Just set it up and then move away from it, move away from it to give it to somebody else. 
and now we do recruit for the top companies yeah, in Australia yeah, and build you start with you start with the SMEs that would be your advice then yeah, and never forget them either because there will still be 80% of your business will come from SMEs mm. because you're still dealing, you know talk about gatekeepers and stuff like that there are no gatekeepers in SMEs yeah, yeah, yeah. you are dealing with the so how are you management. approaching these people like real practical like just what's like the go to for me it's just phones I'm yeah, yeah, phone yeah. first business always have been um, yeah. but you know I, I always sort of go with the track of okay let's look at a project they've won and then give them a call about that. So have something ready to speak have about. Something, yeah. So that's sort of, you know, you can use sort of project trackers, et cetera, else. And, you know, introductory callers, this is who I am, this is what I do. I understand you've mm. won this project and go with that sort of conversation. Yeah, 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 yeah. But, you know, um, there's obviously the, the, the marketing you can do behind it in terms of brand yeah, recognition. Yeah, yeah. But I, well, I'm always phone first. People yeah. want to still deal with people, right? Yeah, 100%. Um, I agree. You know, I'm, mate, I'm definitely all about the yeah. phone. It's just what can you do online? Like the the part that you said about the projects, mm. that's an online element. Mm. But what what else can you do that can help that phone call conversation? Or what else can you do online to breed trust and credibility before you pick up that phone? Yeah, I think in today's society, in terms of what we've got in terms of LinkedIn and, mm. and sort of other sort of social sites and websites, you could be looking at that information that companies provide about who they are and what yeah. they stand for. You know, if you start seeing them take part in sort of charity etc else you start seeing them take part in sort of um, industry events start to talk, talk about, about that. that because when you speak to someone for the first time they want to know if you're serious or not yeah and if you're just going in cold you're going to have your pants pulled down pretty quickly yeah whereas if you're going in with something which is i understand you take part in this or i understand you take part in that have something to talk about have something to talk yeah. about okay and then um so how so then obviously you continued to bill him for quite a mm. while then how did that go billings wise did that you do do you obviously through that yeah, you had a tough fine. period but it was fine i mean i always met my budget you know, in fact at one quarter i didn't bill a thing which was a bit of a squeaky bum moment really but for, for me it was always about getting to budget but it was never about being the biggest biller mm. for me it was about getting something set yeah. and then getting the fuck out of the way and getting something mm. else set and building something that was bigger than myself like that um because that was what was more important to me wasn't having a team of four where we were all billing shitloads of yeah, money yeah, it was yeah. like okay well i want to create an opportunity for kelly to lead p eventually people eventually that's what she wants yeah same for alex so i can only do that by building something that's bigger than us mm. um so it was never about being the biggest biller yeah, yeah it yeah. was about building something bigger than me okay just quickly then before i dive into that because i don't want to miss asking you about it because you mentioned it how did you get you you touched on it but like how did you get through those real tough times then, mate? Mm. Like personally, professionally, do you know what I mean? Because obviously yeah. there must have been more to it than I totally get that you're in a room like we are today. It's four of you against the world. Mm. Like you're celebrating everything that you achieved together. Totally get that because mm. it's not just about Andrew then and Andrew's problems. There's actually mm. other people that are on with me on mm. this journey. How Because how, I can imagine if I'm, if I move over to Australia or I'm a recruiter listening and I'm over there at the moment maybe, and it is fucking difficult and it's really tough. Like, what, what, how did you get through that real tough time then? Seek help. Really? Yeah, just to ask for help. Um, you know, I, um, perspective is one thing, right? And we could talk about that later, yeah. but seeking help is, you know, I'm struggling. You know, I'm, I'm not finding this easy. I'm having, you know, personal, professional problems, etc. Don't be willing to just yeah, suck it up and say no don't suck it up and see that you know you've got to seek help and yeah. seeking help you don't have to be embarrassed by it but it's yeah. sort of like hey how help me because you know I'm, I need it at the moment and then people start to talk to you about their problems mm. and you go how did you get over they're like oh, talk to people about it sort of help so I think whenever you're having those moments where you're like fuck this is this is really shit rather than go into a, sh into a shell yeah Go and speak to people. It could be your family. It could be your friend. It doesn't have to be recruiters. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It can be anyone, right? Because we've all been there. Mm. We've all had moments where we've been at work or at home on a football pitch, on mm. a bloody 
Because that, that's where it can be really tough. That if you move to the other side of the world and you feel like you've got no one to, to ask help from. Do you we know have, because I mean? everyone else who's moved across had the same issue. Yeah. So there's always those people out there who've been in the same boat as you. Yeah. You know, you're not alone. You never are. There's always people that have moved to a new country and they've gone through the same trials and tribulations. And so what I tell people a lot, when, when I mentioned earlier about going to Australia, is say, and it was Kelly that taught me it, she said, say yes to everything. Really? So when everyone says, do you want to do this? Yeah. Because what you do, you quickly find out what you like and don't like. But if mm. you say no to everything, you're never yeah. going to know. Yeah. Um, so then when you flip it on, I'm having a real challenging issue at the moment. It's like speak to your family, speak to your friends. Speak, you can speak to random strangers. People mm. are generally open. And when, when you talk to something about that... Just don't say, hey, mate. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right, mate. <laughs> you can say, hey, mate. Hey, mate's fine. Oh, really? All right, mate. Is all right, mate. Yeah, yeah, all right. No, no, it was, you're all right. Oh, you're all right? You're all right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, mate, all right, you're all right? No, it doesn't <laughs> work. But no, yeah, to seek help, um, be open about it. You know, and, and obviously for me, that's what I had to do. There was that one defining moment where I had to sort of just be honest really and everyone was like yeah right cool well you know what can we do and I was like oh so you're not I'm not going to be embarrassed by this or ashamed no yeah. we've all been there perfect so have you, have you ended up building relationships other mentors or anything like that then that have helped you along the way or yeah I've, I've other business owners really? um, in recruitment in Australia I've gone and said to them that you know I'm going for a transition and because the issue is you go from being a consultant to a director and owner Right, being a consultant, you're almost institutionalized. You know what you need to do every day to get the outcomes yeah. you're looking for, right? Then you move into director role and you're like, fuck, I haven't done this one before. And people are looking at you for you know, inspiration, motivation, and guidance, and you're going, what I used to do was get on the phone and just go and just be, you know, show mm. people how that, that side of it. Whereas I can't do that, I haven't got the time to do that, and I'm supposed to work on the business. So you sort yeah. of, you're suddenly doing this whole new job after 13 years of recruiting, like, this is actually quite hard. So you reached out for help. Yeah, and you, so you've got to reach out to other business owners and, and peers and sort of talk to them about, you know, how they navigated it, et cetera, else. And they're also the same thing, which was, I spoke to somebody else about yeah, it. And yeah. I so whoever but that's even at the consultant level, isn't it? Yeah. It's like, if, you, if you've got aspirations to get to over here mm. and there's Sally in your office that's got there or there's someone that you've seen online mm. on LinkedIn or whatever, I'd say, yeah, like, I, I love that. Just actually reach out. And I think, mm. I, I always say this, but like, I've experienced this myself and like, you'll be so surprised as to how many people are willing to help. Yeah. I know how, how many things have come off the back of the podcast where people reached out and like, there's so many great things that happen, but that's because people are actually really willing to help. Yeah. Well, look, mate, I mean, obviously we talked about it earlier with you before we started about when you did your first Twitter, yeah, sort yeah, of yeah. Your, your social side, you know, I, re I just got in touch with you and you weren't asking for help, but it yeah. was sort of sometimes it's just nice to give people a exactly. bit of a G up and say, hey, but you're doing a good thing, yeah. keep going. But people will be willing to help. Like if yeah. you are going through a tough time and you're like, fuck, no one cares, mm. like this is hard, but there, there will be people willing to help. Yeah. Um, okay, mate, so then what, what I'd love to, to get your perspective of then is... Just quickly, actually, out of interest, because I was, I was interested to, to ask, like, when you say, like, you build up something, then you get out of the way, you build up something, you get out of the way, what's, what do you mean by, where, where do you need to get it to for you to be comfortable to give it away? Do you get what I mean? I think yeah, that's something look, I think interesting you, to... You always want to probably, when I looked at building that construction team, because the construction team is, is what now, 12 yeah. people, you sort of want to know you've got four to six clients, which okay. you, can, you can rely on to bring, you know, the, yeah, the business yeah, yeah. will come in. And then it's upon the consultant to probably go and win four or six more to yeah, take the yeah, desk yeah. from being a... And so how did you pass that on? Because you, you would have built those relationships and then you tell them, right, so just to let you know, I'm now going to probably do more of this. You're going to be speaking to Tom, who's going to be... Yeah, because you're telling your clients what you're trying to do as well. Yeah, you know, again, get them bought in. What you're, you know, and we, we psychometric everyone in our business, but I'm very open. Okay. So I'll tell our clients what we're trying to achieve. I'll tell our candidates. And yeah, yeah. So I'll tell them why I'm Get doing what I'm doing. Get them into the journey that yeah. you guys are on. Yeah, absolutely. Because again, it, you know, clients are interested in hearing that, yeah, believe yeah. it or not. Because obviously that, that can be a challenge, isn't it? It's like, mm. what, why is Andrew not calling me? Do you mm. know what I mean? Because obviously, yeah, you've got to be open and honest. Mm. 
because you don't want people to perceive you like, oh, Andrew's too good to talk mm. to us now, or whatever. Do you know? But what you've mean? always got to be accessible. Um, so it's not really? like I don't go out to client meetings. It's not like I don't go to events and see, see those clients um, because the clients always want to know who's right at the back, the one making all the decisions at the back of the room. Really? They want to know that person there's not a dickhead either. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. So for me, when there are issues that need to be sort of dealt with, I will always have to jump in. I and get will always help with those issues where relevant and where I need to. Sometimes you've got to let people just deal with their own shit and say, mm. right, figure out what you're going to do, make the mistake you need to make, and then you know what? After that, don't worry about it. Because yeah. ninety-nine percent of the time, when people make a decision, they make the right one. They're just scared of making it. Really? Yeah. Okay, that's interesting. Um, okay, so then what I'd be interested to um, ask your perspective on then is, firstly, so the the team that you've ended up building. Mm. How many of those are um, originally from the UK, roughly? Yeah, great. Uh, Kelly and Alex, are, uh, Kelly are state managers from the UK. Um, Alex worked at Matchtech with myself. Adam's from the UK. And then you've got Aaron, um, who's uh, Aussie. Really? I'm um, in Sydney. Um, but the balance between the team is sort of 50% male, female, 50% I'd say are Aussie, 50% are sort really? of overseas. From yeah. overseas, okay, yeah. cool. So I guess before I ask you like <coughs> some of the common things that you've seen UK recruiters struggle with. Mm. So I think that'd be really interesting to talk about. Like, what are the like key, key differences from the UK market being in recruitment to the Oz? Do you know yeah. what I mean? Is it easier in Oz to, yeah. to be a recruiter? Like, do you know what I mean? What's yeah. the, what are the sort of key differences? Yeah, Look, I mean, and obviously I've touched upon that earlier, probably yeah. at the wrong time, but I only have experience in two two markets. So I worked at Matchstick for four years and Australia yeah. for the last nine. Um, so when people ask me this, I'm like, I don't know because I always dealt with Aussies and Kiwis but people talk about the UK being more transactional mm. and Australia being more relationship based potentially that's one thing okay. um, but I think with Aussies they're, they're more willing to give out trust um, but you can lose it quicker as well really um, that's one thing I've found is that once you lose trust in Australia <laughs> you're never getting it they're back. like to grudges oh they, they just do not forget about it really um, so that's why you know our vision is all about being the most trusted because we're like don't fuck that up. Yeah. Okay. Because once you've lost that, to get it back is so hard. Really. Um, is it you know less saturated? Potentially yes, but is it still a busy market? Is still plenty of competition in the market? Yes, there is. Mm. Um, are there still the highest performers? Yeah, there are. I, I don't have enough experience to say because I, I probably didn't work in enough agencies yeah, in my enough. time. Um, but I talk about Aussies and the way they are. That, that if you break trust of them, you're done. You're mm. literally done. You need to move on. They're not gonna, they're not gonna let, let yeah. you get away with it. Um, so I think that's one thing I found. And but their willingness to sort of meet and and have a chat, way higher. Really? Yeah, way higher because you, they're just that way inclined. It's like, oh yeah, good day, mate. How you going? That's how you open a conversation. <laughs> you don't go, all right, mate, because then they're like on the back foot. So it's just having an open conversation with mm. them as well. Um, okay. But sorry, I can't probably offer too much because, you know, at Match Tech, I did relatively well through my own style and the way yeah, I was. Yeah, yeah, But that, that probably helped you in that and what you're just talking about yeah, there. D direct and open. You know, mm. no bullshit. I'm not trying to pretend, pretend something Because if, if you were listening to this and... Yeah, so if you're if you're a recruit and you're listening to this and you're in the UK and look, let's be let's be honest, if you are probably a, a bit more transactional, but you're mm. good at what you're doing, you're good, good at putting people in the right place, and you may not have some solid relationships, mm. that that may be difficult in because you're probably more inclined or more easy to make the mistake of breaking that trust yeah. and that if you go over to the Australian market. Yeah. I think I've, I've generally found with, with the people that I've worked with in the UK and Australia, the, the more sales they are, the, the harder it is for them to succeed. Really? Um, you know, I, I was putting some content together around you don't need to sell. You should tell the truth. 
Just tell them who you yeah. are, what you do, and how you do it. And Recruitment like, sales owner. It is. It's, yeah, it's sales, but you don't need to actually yeah, sell, yeah, you yeah, know, because yeah. they already know what we do. Or they have a perceived idea about what we do, yeah. and then you bring them into the real picture about what they do, and they go, oh, shit, that actually sounds like it's a little bit more Crazy intense. Crazy how simple it is. Just do the right thing and be honest. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> tell the fucking truth. Yeah. You know, right. People say, in four words, what we tell the recruiters, like, tell the fucking truth. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not hard. Yeah, yeah, I'll tell you get that. Cool. Fear of loss and all that. Yeah, so I guess... What from your perspective then? What have been like some of the the common challenges that you've seen UK recruiters have going over to the Oz market and trying to be trying to obviously replicate the success they've had in the UK? Yeah. What are, so you probably maybe touching it there, but what are some of the common mm. things that you've seen as you've been building your team? Assuming that they will be successful, mm. it'd be it'd be one a presumption of oh uh, assuming that they're going to be yeah, successful. The presumption of I've got four or five years, so I don't have to do what I did four or five years ago this time man. they've got to go back feeling like a maggot they? Yeah, they do because <laughs> that's how people perceive them yeah. there's, there's no trust no one knows them you know when you talk about so recruiters when they're consciously competent means they've got their market they've got everything knocked off but when you're going from UK to Australia you know no one why would you assume you'll have the same level of success by doing dog. by doing half the work and that's what someone once told me is like you go to Australia and you work 50% as hard as you did in the UK you'll be successful bollocks you still mm. got to apply the same work ethic. Yeah. But if you work as hard as you did when you first started and you've got four years yeah. experience in doing it, you, you, you're so ruthless. I guess it's having the humility to be like, okay, right, I'm really going to have to pull my trousers I know up. nothing. Mm. All I know is what I knew in the UK. And every conversation, I'm going to see what, what I can apply and what I can't apply. So is, was, is that the biggest thing then? Like, Yeah, presumption that they'll be successful. I've, I've done this. I've got it boxed off. Yeah. Don't worry about me, mate. And then they get there and it's like, yeah, that's nice. Is, is that, is that, I hear that's a, <coughs> quite a common challenge when like you're if you're hiring sort of experienced recruiters that they do come with that sort of uh, andrew i know what i'm doing mate like mm. relax like let me crack on but yeah. do you, like do you know what i mean is that, yeah, is that we, a common challenge we talk about it a lot in our business around as we bring people into the business it's like whatever you knew that's fine but there's a way that we do things there's a way that our clients is it that different though well it's just the way we are yeah we all do things differently because everyone's unique yeah, yeah um but it's that willingness to adopt what we do um because i've found it many a time where people we've got our aftercare program our work health and safety compliance our, our sort of system compliance and then people are like oh no it's not like this in the uk it's like well this is how it is here <laughs> so fucking well do it <laughs> you know they're like oh no but i don't want to do that i'm like well okay we'll do it somewhere else then yeah because yeah, um, yeah. so we're, we're not a kpi business we don't sit there and set you know cool targets etc else but we set everything around trust, you know, how we build trust with our clients, because that's the one thing we want to focus on. So when we start to say to people, what's your interview to placement ratio, what's your CV to interview, they're looking at me like I've got 14 heads. I'm like, that's the shit you need to know to build trust. Mm. Um, but because some come over with that assumption of, well, I've done it before, I can do it again. Bollocks, I wouldn't come back to UK and, and think then, that I could be yeah, successful. Yeah, yeah. I would go back to day one, which is, okay, how do I structure my day? What habits do I need to yeah. build, et cetera else? Mm, okay. Interesting. I think that, that 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 makes a lot of sense. Um, so I guess what I'd also like to get your um, opinion on, because I think you're you're well placed to um, share your perception on it, is obviously as you've been building this team, I'm sure that you've had some some really good billers. Hmm. Hopefully, still have some really good billers and some really good people. What what have been two things? What I always like to ask uh, people about is what have been the the common things that you've seen um, in those people that have helped them get to that point. And what I always like to ask is sort of where do you see people sort of falling short or the habits that they have that, that 
and prevent them from breaking through that ceiling. Do you mm. get what I mean? Yeah, no, absolutely. What are the sort, yeah. of, the, the sort of common things that you see in, in the, the high-performing people yeah. you have in your business? Well, yeah, I think I've, I think feel like we probably a bit smarter in the fact that we've profiled every single person through a psychometric. Yeah, to that's learn interesting. So, so what, what's the, just quickly, like, what's the thought process behind that? Um, because you, what, you, you know, you think you know people. Yeah. But sometimes you don't. But the, you will start with you, right? So mm. I'm aware of my strengths, but I'm also acutely aware of my weaknesses. So that's something that's made me so quite aware. Self-awareness. Self-awareness, right, but not everyone is. So the first thing we said, right, let's profile every high perform we've got. And there's a common theme that came out. So what now, was? openness, mm. urgency, mm. energy, and really? accommodation. So these were things that people, they, they profile. Wait, say that again, open. Openness, openness to change and, and advice. Yeah. Accommodation, which was they generally, they won't accommodate certain things. So yeah. uh, you know, standards, for yeah. instance. So once the standard's set, that's it. Yeah, yeah. They won't accommodate anything else. Urgency. Yeah. Having high urgency. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Having high energy. Yeah. Uh, and the other thing we always look for was em empathy. Yeah, yeah. So what we, what we then decided from that was the two things we got permission to play, we call it, which is we'll hire someone if they can show two things, which is driving care. Really? You're driven every day to succeed. Yeah, they're and key you, things that you look for when you hire. And you care. You generally give a shit about your clients, candidates and colleagues. So yeah. yes, you want to do really well. And yes, you're going to bring loads of energy and urgency. But you're never going to throw somebody under the bus. You you're never going to yeah. And the accommodation part comes from you're never going to allow your standards to slip. Mm. And those are the five key things. That we, we can profile any one of them. And we've seen with our highest performers, they all sit so in the same one. There's like this wave that comes through. And it's like, right, OK, well, you know what? We know that not everyone's going to be the same, but those are just five things that we look for. Yeah. Is there anything else within that then, within these high performers that you see um, quite a lot of the time? No, th those five things for me are always though, you really? know, the urgency of urgency of action. They come mm. in every day. They've got high energy. They won't allow substandard sort of work and time, etc. Else, but they've got a lot of empathy and they're open to feedback. So that's why we came back with our values of yeah. honest communication, feedback, care, and yeah. focus. They all pair into. Do you know what? I've just heard you say that on the phone. Did you consider, or have you considered this? Mm. You said that to a business leader who's billing six, seven, eight hundred grand a year. They're cool with that because do you know what? It's helping them improve. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's how they all. How do, how do these how do these people with these traits deal with the shit times in recruitment then? I think the same as everyone was speaking about earlier. Just talking about it, having perspective, perspective as well. Once you've been in recruitment, maybe three, five, seven, nine years, and we probably all need a recession. By the way, I know that word shouldn't be used at the <laughs> moment, but I've been through one, mm. and we got through it. Mm. You know what? There's going to be good days and there's going to be bad days. And we actually w live in a world, I hate to say, of rejection. We're either being rejected by clients. We're either rejecting candidates or clients. So we're always, most of the time, being said no. So you've yeah. got to celebrate the good times along with it. But perspective is a wonderful thing. You sort of go, well, where was I three months ago? Where am I today? And where could I yeah, be Perspective is huge. Yeah. Like when you really tap into that and understand oh, that yeah. and cultivate That's that. That's what I say so to big. every new consultant is think about where you were a week ago and where you are today. Think yeah. about where you're going to be a week's time. Then fast forward a year. It's so easy to forget that, isn't it? It is. It's it it so go, Shit, I'm going to be ruthless in a year's yeah, time. Yeah, yeah. It's so it's so easy to forget mm. that. Okay. And then the uh, the other parts of that, then, mate. <coughs> I think that that's really cool that you profile people, and it's, it's amazing that obviously they've got their similar traits, yeah. isn't it? So I guess. And then what do you, what do you see in the, in the people that you're just like, oh, if they like, do you know what I mean? That are just sort of just struggling to break that. Do you know what I mean? I get a lot of messages where people are like, Hisham, <coughs> I'm, I'm hitting 150, 180K a year mark. I just mm. can't break that 200, 250 mark mm. or whatever. Do you get what I mean? Like, well, how, what are the common things or habits or whatever that you're seeing in people that 
are struggling to break through to that, yeah. that next that next stage. I think you've always got to be looking at your 80-20 rule, which is that, you know, people talk about 80% of your business from 20% yeah. of your clients, but you also need to be turning over 20% of your clients quarter on quarter. What do you, um, what do you mean by that? Sorry? So you've always got to be bringing new business in. Oh, okay. and never settle on what you've got. We talked about it earlier and that the assumption of, I've got this covered. Don't get complacent. Yeah, but you've got to be continuing to have those conversations with your clients. And, you know, one of our consultants has gone from being a high performer to being an incredibly high performer. Because mm. we went to their office as a client and they went, yeah, so we've recruited uh, 40 people last year, 20 were via Alex and 20 were via another agency. And his face just dropped because he was like, what? what? Hold on a minute. Yeah. And so I was like, there's your assumption. And cause, but because he'd never asked a question about... Hey. Yeah, you just assume you're doing like amazing. Yeah. yeah. An assumption is the mother of all fuck ups. Yeah. Right? You know, Steve Seagal said that in Money Train. Don't know <laughs> but, you know, it wasn't Steve Seagal, I never feel. But it is, you know, yeah. and so you, when you get to a, maybe in, in the UK, you know, what's that? Probably 30 placements. Yeah. But for, you've got 52 weeks in a year. Why can't you make one placement a week or 48 if you have yeah. an annual leave? Realistically, at any grade. So yeah, so break it down so it doesn't sound as huge. If, do no, you know what I mean? Make, do, buy num- do buy placements. For really? me, it's about doing by the number of placements you're making oh, subject to the market you're in. Because your average fee will take care of itself if you're making sure you're protecting your terms. But if you're making... It doesn't sound as much on either, does that? No, if you're making 24 placements in a year, honestly, you could double that. Mm. By working with better clients, better candidates, and focus on better roles. Okay. So you mentioned that. I know, I know um, I've already sort of asked you about it, but I guess what... Because like... How much of a struggle for your guys in your office as a like business development? Mm. Is that fair to say like that's quite a big challenge for a lot of people, right? It, yeah, it, it is for a lot of people. It was for me, you know, mm. that first phone call. So how do you like, help oh. people with that? Because I think a lot, as I said, people always ask me about that. Like, mm. so, and you just said there that twenty percent make sure that you always bring the new clients. These mm. things that's going to involve business development and yeah. these things. And I think one, like thinking back to when I did it, I definitely got more, way more confident with it. But I can see that it'd be very easy to be like, oh, I've got all these clients that like want to give me time, these things. Mm. The thought of then being rejected more and having to do that is a bit like, nah, fuck that. Yeah. But that's that complacency part. But it's complacency is also drive. Yeah. You know, how driven are you and yeah. how much, what, what do you really, what do you really want to put yourself out there and be, you know, people talk about the 90%, the 99%, the 99.9%, 99.9%. Where do you really want, do you really want to be highly successful? Because if you do, you'll do it. Yeah. If you don't, you'll sit where you are. Mm. Um, going back to new, sort of new business development, et cetera, else, um, you have to do it every day. You can't sit there and think my clients are going to get me through the next five years because they're not. They're, their conditions will change. They're bringing yeah. new hiring managers new line managers so you can never assume that you've got it because you haven't when you go to new consultants of new bd etc it's going back and saying do you know what this first phone call is going to be the worst one you're ever going to make just be real because it's going to be it's horrible on that horrible they gave me the worst person i could have my my worst bd call was my first call because they knew who i they gave me the, the phone and said this is the person we want you to call and he lit fucking rip and the bloke said to me that'd be the worst one you ever get Really? And it has been it's ever since. Out of the way. Yeah, so obviously we don't do that to people there, but we remind <laughs> them, again, we've all been there. You know, it's not like anyone's walked in. Yeah. And here's all your clients. We've all had to get on that phone and introduce ourselves mm. and sell. And we're like, oh my days, because yeah. you can hear, hey, it's, uh, good day, it's uh, Andrew from Designing, but how you going? And they're like, yeah. you hear that huff and you're like, Righto, oh this is going to be t- this is going to be difficult. And then obviously, I don't want to take too much of your time, and I want to touch base. It's like don't use those fucking words. Um, just really? try and just try and be real and try and be different. But just yeah. know, do you know what? You're going to fuck it up more than you're going to get it right mm. in the first 
probably three to six months. Mm. Um, but after time and after you've been speaking to these people, every conversation gets easier because I get phone calls from Rector X now and again, new ones, and they sound terrible on the phone, the first really? one. But I say, all I say to them is, look, nothing right now. Give me a call in four weeks. And this is what most clients will do to you. Don't, look, look, I'm no, no, not interested. Give me a call in four to eight weeks. Or don't call me at all. Okay, I'll give you a call in four weeks and check in because I know you're busy. Email them, tell them you call them in four weeks, call them in four weeks. Yeah, follow right? up. I, we spoke four weeks ago. You were too busy to talk at the time, etc. Yeah. else. Great, done. After, and I, I, I suppose some people just get afraid of cold call and BD. I'm like, but every time you deliver, you're building trust. Yeah, and no, it booking calls, easier. yeah. I had a, a guy on um, who said that. That really helped him. That, that really helped me, actually, when mm. I'm really... Well, yeah, it's exactly well. Okay, cool. I'll, I'll touch base with you. I'll call you in mm. four, six weeks. I'm gonna book it in my mm. diary now. I'll book it in your diary. Yeah, follow up. Follow up. Mm. That that yeah. is that helps a lot, doesn't it? Yeah. Well, it used to be seven to nine touch points before you got a buy. Yeah. Now it's twelve to fourteen because we're so busy. Yeah. But ev- I, my, my wife works internally. Right. I've got friends who work internally. They've got PSAs and, and people call them now and again and say, hey, I'm, you know, looking for to get on the PSA and they go, well, give us a call in a month's time and we'll catch up or give us a call in three months. They don't call back. Mm you're done you've, you've already failed whereas you, if someone says look yeah because if you call back and say oh we spoke briefly blah, 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 that's again you're, you're elevating your they brand will tell you, you are. Yeah, nothing right now okay I'll call you in four weeks yeah. in the meantime it was a hard to fill role and then you call back in four weeks and they say no there's nothing there but the, how we broke into some of our clients in construction we spoke to them every four weeks and when their job was advertised I'd always get in touch and say I'm just going to ask the question because you know I'm keen to work with you any t- opportunity to work on this role no Andrew not right now don't take offence to it it's just that they said at least they've replied yeah. but then eventually they pick up the phone and you've got the best company in Australia calling you about free roles they're going to work with you exclusively yeah, 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 yeah. that's when you're like win sometimes it takes two three years but if you want to be in recruitment that's how long it might have no, to take it's a long game isn't it yeah how um just quick, I want to I want to ask you some um, things around um, branding and stuff because mm. I think obviously as a business I think from what I can see you've been on an interesting journey. Mm. I think you you've definitely got an, uh, a personal brand. Mm. Um, but just quickly, how does mindset fit into all this? Is that do you know what I mean? Because I think that you're probably the first person that I've sat down with that have said openly that you've um, what what was the word that you used when you profiled everyone. Mm. So again, yeah, yeah, psychometric. Sorry. Yeah. So, like, wh- where does mindset fit into all this, in your opinion? Because the mindset comes from drive, yeah. right? So you, it comes from someone being driven to succeed, um, but it also comes from habits. You've got to do the same thing time and time again yeah. to get impact. So when people start doing sort of social media presence, they do it once in a blue. Oh, I just chuck that on LinkedIn. It's like that's nice. When are you going to do your next one? Oh, when I. No, no, yeah, no plan yeah, around yeah. it. The mindset is, I want to build a brand. Yeah. But before you do that, what brand do you want to build? Um, mm, so yeah, you got to think about that. It's habits. The, the mindset thing comes back to habits, which is, I'm going to make sure I do the same things every day because by doing them every day, I know eventually I'll get an outcome from it, and I'm not going to give up because it doesn't work after a week or a month. Yeah. You know, you've got to continue. How do you cultivate that in people? Because you know, in today's world, it's like. Mm put something out you want likes on it straight away you want comments yeah. on it mm. like do you know what I mean it's that whole sort of innocent gratification thing so how yeah. do you cultivate that in your people it's um, allowing them to understand that the, the impressions I think likes and comments are one thing but there's people always watching the background right so I always talk to people about the number of people who interact with our brand in a year so last year our brand was interacted with impressions 113 million times yeah so I was like that's, that's four no times the population and, and remember Australia. remember they are people <laughs> that's yeah. not that's like a number yeah but they are people yeah. well, like that's four times the population of Australia almost yeah. five times yeah. in fact it's, sorry it's madness um, and you're, all you're saying to people is that you're building a p- awareness and presence so when you do pick up the phone yeah. now and again they'll be like oh yeah I've seen you comment yeah, yeah. Or that's content. what it's all about it's yeah. about combining them both yeah. but then how do you but then 
definitely. But then what about just in terms of like your people recruitment in terms not not sort of the, the brand piece like how do you cultivate that because you've got to have a long-term mm. mindset and that is what people really struggle with yeah. they can't see the light at the end of the tunnel they can't see above mm. the rejection daily in like yeah. the 5k months or whatever do you know what i mean so how do you cultivate that in well, you've got people? to tell stories haven't you you've got to yeah. bring people on the journey you know mm. you talk about your own my own personal journey i yeah. talk about kelly's journey alex's journey we all started as recruitment consultants. You've got to bring people because we've all been there. Yeah, yeah. And we are where we are today because some of us built these habits and we do it consistently and every day. But it's different for every, again, yeah, of course. we're all unique. Um, my personal branding came about through authenticity, you know, really? being true and being open and being honest. So when I talk about things on LinkedIn or Facebook, whatever else, not really selling, I'm just telling my own story. Just being honest. But that's what it's about. That's trust for us. How, and so, yeah, when I sort of look at your, yeah, because you, you've really done well with that, I guess. How has it helped you? Do you know what I mean? It's given me purpose. Really? Yeah. So when things are shit, you know, because you know, one, of, one of the things that I, I got taught was like, w when things are really shit, look at what you're doing because that's all you can look at, right? You can't yeah. look at what the other company are doing yeah, yeah, or what yeah. the market's doing. You're going to look at what you're doing. So when you start to building your own brand, whether or not it be externally or internally, yeah. just look at what you're doing every day and, and, and having, having that purpose. So whenever I sound now sort of meet consultants, meet clients, meet candidates, because I talk a lot about trust, and authenticity <laughs> when they meet they're like fuck he's really honest yeah. um, but that means that I'm being true to myself and I think in life yeah, unless about. you're being if you're not being true to yourself you're playing, a, playing an act yeah, and there's yeah. no point in playing an act it's no not point sustainable just, no it's not you can't just exist you can't play an act because eventually you'll burn out mm. um, or you'll be found out and the worst thing is that you get found out yeah 100% I think that I think for me that is the great thing about the online piece is like mm. If, if you are a shit recruiter, like you can be exposed like that. Mm. And that, that's a great thing is like you couldn't, the sort of brand that you have and how people perceive you, like you couldn't have that and it not be true because you're just one comment yeah. away of someone saying, Andrew, mate, you're, you're lying. Mm. And everyone can see that. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Well, that's what I spoke about on LinkedIn. I said, perception is, is one thing, but how you treat people in real life, that leaves an everlasting impression. Yeah. You know, they're two different things. Perception is someone builds up a perception of you and then they get in touch and then you, do what you do and if yeah. you don't deliver or you don't yeah. be the person that you 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 that you're perceive perceived as yeah. perceived as that yeah. you're done because that because that's that's the whole game with that and i think seeing your sort of presence online and stuff like that i think is very much in in line with what you are perceived mm. as which is which is should be the objective of everyone is like when mm. they do sit down with that candidate and client and they're like wow andrew you're exactly how i thought you was yeah yeah like that's like so powerful mm. um, and really valuable. But I guess the question that I always get, and I have my own way of um, answering it, is like, because I'm sure you get this, is like, okay, Andrew, but how does it make me more money? Mm. Has it made you more money? Yes, made me more trusted. So people have come to us and engaged with us, clients, candidates, and consultants, because we do what we say we're going to do. Mm. So eventually, obviously, other people want that experience, etc. So has it made me more money? Well, I was 23 when I got into recruitment. I didn't have a degree. I was working in a tax office as a tax inspector. I'm 36, and I've got a business or two in Australia. Um, and I didn't do it by being a dickhead. I did yeah, it by yeah. being honest. And being, you know... I, I, I exposed myself at times, etc. Or else I was vulnerable yeah, at times. Vulnerable, but yeah. you know what? That's fine. Yeah. Because the good people will grab hold of that and make make you better. The shit ones, they'll take advantage of it. Don't worry about it. Yeah. It's sort of you know, you, there's a book, uh, Give and Take, by Adam Grant. It talks a lot about giving. Yeah. Just give. Just be you, and that yeah. starts with just being you. Mm. Um. So when people say to me, "Has it made me more money?" Well, 
I don't know because I don't know what the other paths would have led to, but I'm pretty happy where I am yeah, right yeah, now. Yeah, yeah. So it's but working yeah, that way. No, because obviously you know how it's recruiters like, well, look, I can pick up the phone and I know how that's going to go. Or mm. the thought of obviously putting someone online and they haven't done before is mm. scary, which I but, totally but get. But you don't know you don't know how it's going to go when you pick up the phone or post online. Yeah, you just, right. just do it, right? Nike say it every day. It's because yeah. it's still their slogan or logo, sorry, yeah. or slogan, sorry. But yeah. just do it. And don't worry about the outcome it's going to cause, etc. as long as it's authentic, as long as it's true and you're being honest. Mm. If you're doing something to gain straight away, so eventually you'll be found way. out. You'll be a taker. Yeah. Um, and again, you just give out, just give, give, give. And then the other givers will give out as well. Yeah, no, I realise. Well. Mate, honestly, that's, that's so true how I've approached it as well. But I just know it's hard to tap into that. Yeah. It is hard to... Well, you've you got your knockbacks as well. I've, I've given you a bit of shit on some of your posts <laughs> as well. But that, that's just being honest. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. and the thing people need to not be afraid of is that, you know, keep, you know, you, you read a message from someone or someone comments on your on your article. I mean, I did one article. It got like fucking three and a half million, bloody, um, sorry, a million likes and 50 million views. Really? It was like crazy. What was it about? Um, always leaving the office on time. Yeah. So did it about three, four years ago. Didn't expect it to do what it did and it was the most liked at one point yeah. ever and yeah. I was like, oh my what fucking days. And so many people were commenting but at the time I was receiving them all really negatively. That you were, you're disagreeing with me. You're attacking me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, they're not. They're just offering their point of view. Yeah, yeah. And that's what content is. You get better is. at that. Yeah, and, and you do. Because at first, you, you, your hair's on your back and right. You're like, you're a fucking prick. Mm. Uh, but but the thing is, because it's coming from a person, not everyone's going to like you. No. That's just part of it. 50% of the world ain't going to like you. Yeah, 50% yeah. are. People just, we're not all the yeah, same. Yeah, we yeah, all yeah. have different views. It's why in politics, we get the right and the left. Yeah, yeah. We've all got a compass. Always, exactly. So I guess do, just just to round that off then with your whole journey with it and stuff like what's your sort of go-to advice for recruiters that are listening? Obviously, I, I always give my own advice and that's sort of the business I'm building now. But what's your advice from your own perspective being a recruitment director? Yeah, it's, it's always hard to summarise, but I think just just be honest about who you are. Um, you want to go to work every day and make an impact. And if mm. you don't want to go to work every day, if you don't want to make an impact, then don't do what you're doing. Mm. In short, be honest about who you are and what you stand for, mm. and um, try you know, and convey that online. Yeah, and 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 every part of your life, not just online, and every part of your life, just yeah. be who you are and be honest about who you are. And you know, online, in, in an office, in a, in a pub, whatever else. Um, so that's my advice to anyone in any walk of life. Mm. Um, it's just be you, um, and be honest about who you are and what you stand for, where your weaknesses are, where your strengths are. Yeah. Be proud of your strengths. Just be aware of your weaknesses, but always work on your strengths because that's, that's what will get you through. Yeah, 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 That'll get you through as long as you're aware of your weaknesses at the same time. Yeah, good advice, mate. Cool. So look, I guess what I always like to um, ask people before we finish, mate. Yeah. I went quick, didn't I? Um, yeah, it's generally about an hour, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What I was going to say. About like time stood still. <laughs> <laughs> what I was going to say. So um, what... What are you excited about then? What, what's going on in uh, your world? For me, I'm excited about the diversification of the business. We, we launched our public sector business back in um, back in uh, March. But when we also did that, we reset our vision. Um, and our vision now is to be the most trusted recruitment agency in Australia. And I'm so proud of that vision because I, I, I talked to the consultants. How do people receive that? The first thing they say is, how do you build trust? What, what do you mean? Um, and I talk to people around, you know, you can try and say you're the biggest, you can try and say you're the leader, but can you quantify it? But you quantify trust by the metrics we talked about earlier about mm. you know CV to interview, placement ratios, etc. Mm. But for me, I read a great book, How to Ex- Achieve Extraordinary Results, by focusing on the one thing. And that's what I always talk about in life is focus. What's the one thing? If you get that right, everything else follows a result, and it's mm. trust. Because people want to trust people. But in yeah. recruitment, they 
I could trust anyone yeah, at the yeah, start. But so that's what we talked about now is our vision being the most trusted. And then what we've done since then is now talked about we don't promote people by how much they build, it's by how much trust they build. So I'm really, really excited to start seeing this journey where our consultants, yes, obviously there's a financial outcome, but interested the, the result happens as a result of building trust. So focus on that. Focus on keeping your metrics low, keeping your feedback scores high, yeah. your replacement rate low. Do you know what? You'll make money. Yeah. You will make money. Whereas if you focus on just billing, you'll make money, but you might not build the best clients in mm. Canada. So that's been a, something I'm no, incredibly I proud of. I absolutely love that. And it, the fit, so like, as I'm now working with businesses and individuals, one of the things I do is um, I get them to think about what they want to be known for in their market. Mm. One of the most, literally every recruiter said it so far. Um, I don't want to be perceived as just another recruiter. Mm. And I think that, and then, and then when we're talking about what you do want to be perceived mm. as, it, it does come back to to what you're talking yeah. about there. Trust these things. So mm. I'm, I'm really excited to see how this all levels mm. out because I think there's there'll be a lot of people listening like Andrew. That's just wanky, mate. Shut mm. up. What you're on about? What, do you know what I mean? What you want to say to people is what will you define as success? Mm. Because what you'll find is some people will talk about the money that they bill or the money that they earn. Mm. The issue then you've got to ask them is, okay, what about the trust? What about when things go tight with your clients or your candidates? And are they going to come back to you when, when they're not looking for people as much as they yeah, did? Yeah, yeah. And what I found was that the most trusted recruiters in my career, the clients have always looked after them in the good times and the bad times. The ones that just took the piss and were just about the money, they're either not in recruitment anymore or they've had about five jobs in that time. Yeah. So the wankiness, it might come across as that, but actually if you think about it, it all makes sense, which is if you've got low metrics, low replacement rates, high retention rates, high repeat yeah, business course. rates, you're going to make money. Yeah, you're you're um, going to do really well, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So, and the, so the trust, the vision, I love that. That's mm, amazing. What, mm. what else is going on? Um, I suppose obviously the, the new the new brand, yeah. the new business there. Um, that, that's obviously a big thing for us as well. Mm. Um, and me just moving more into the role, I became managing director of the business back in July. Mm. Um, so learning about being an MD and not a recruitment consultant <laughs> every day is, is always a challenge because yeah. I have high urgency, I have high energy but I have low abstract reasoning. So I've actually got to really think about things sometimes. So this stuff comes naturally, me and you, I'm yeah. like, blah, 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 blah. Yeah. I could do this until the cows come home. Yeah. But when someone says, right, let's talk about strategy and planning and execution, I'm like, fucking what? kill me now. Yeah, yeah. So learning about me and, and, and my strengths and weaknesses, that's another really exciting thing as well. Yeah, and amazing. don't get me wrong, going through another down, you know, going through a cycle in the market, seeing you know who flourishes, who doesn't, you know, seeing Kelly move into a state manager role yeah. and trying to you know rebuild a Melbourne business. They're all exciting things. Don't get me wrong, though. I'm also shitting myself at the same time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it'll come, come, come good in the end. We can make, well, look, a question I always ask people to uh, finish off is um, if you could communicate to um, every single recruiter out there that would take Andrew's advice, mm. they'd listen. It could be a phrase, a sentence, one word. What oh comes God. to mind? One, one phrase, one word. It could be anything. It could be anything. It doesn't have to be one word. It could be anything that comes to mind. If they'd implement your advice, they'd take it on, what would you say to these people if they're listening? I think, you know, be open to feedback and be driven to succeed. Mm. Um, when I think about how I've got to where I've got to and where we've got to where we got to, it's because we listened mm. to people around us. Uh, but we came in every day, like I said earlier, with that drive. Yeah. You know, want to make an impact every day because that's what it's all about. You know, you could have the worst day of your life but you, at the end of the day, you get a good candidate, a good client, yeah, you get a changes. good job on, and it all changes. So just yeah. focus on making an impact every day, whether it's big or small, yeah. and that will carry you through the bad times as well yeah. as the good times. Andrew, mate, it's been a pleasure. It's been an absolute honour and privilege, mate. <laughs>